On Every Main Street is a weekly program that takes a deeper look into the greater Lehigh Valley small, medium, and large businesses that might be found on Every Main Street. Tonight, join me, Greg Caponia, as we invite WDIY listeners to learn more about the entrepreneurs with great ideas serving the communities in which we live. Good evening and welcome to On Every Main Street. This evening we will chat first about a program at St. Luke's University Health Network. This program prepares candidates for critical jobs. And one of the positions they're having great success with is in the area of phlebotomy. Joining me is Victoria Montero. Victoria is the Network Manager of Health Equity Initiatives. And we also have Jackie Finelli, the coordinator of this new on-the-job training program that is locally having great success. First, Jackie, what exactly is a phlebotomist? A phlebotomist is um, the trained employees that uh, will draw your blood when you have orders from the physician to have your blood work done. So they're the ones that actually draw your blood when you go to um, those labs. Aha. Uh-huh. So is there a need for people in this area right now locally? Oh, yes. Especially, um, you know, with uh, the expansion of St. Luke's and, and all of our different campuses, along with um, the department itself has quite a high turnover rate. Um, you know, it, it's been a, a hard job to fill lately. So it's been challenging. Victoria, this is an on-the-job training program. Can you tell us a little bit how this program began? Sure. So St. Luke's actually has had a long history of working uh, with youth and young adults. We actually have been doing this work for over 20 years, and our focus is to provide employability skills, work experience, case management, and mentorship. So about a year and a half ago, we started working with Carol Copeland, the CEO of the Bethlehem campus, and a team of people from human resources, community health, phlebotomy department, and SPD to design a program that would address uh, the need specifically in SPD and phlebotomy at that point when it came to the high turnover. So together we developed what we're calling on-the-job training, which is a six-month program that provides hands-on experience for community members to come into the network. This opportunity provides one-on-one support, and while they're participating in the program, they um, have the opportunity to have the work experience where they're actually working in the department and learning from the St. Luke staff one-on-one. There's a mentor assigned to them while they're at the unit. They also have to participate in employability skills training because we want to reinforce the job seeking and the job keeping skills and to ensure that once they're going to once they complete our program, they're going to be successful employees for the network and you know, or the community. But we're hoping we're able to retain them within our network. And we also incorporate what we call a case management case management approach. While they participate on the OJT program. We want to make sure that we are addressing what we call the social determinants of health. So participants uh, work very closely with the program coordinator, and they will say to our program coordinator, I am having issues with food insecurity. Our coordinator would connect them back to the community, to the local food pantries. They don't have the clothes to come for the job interview, the one-on-one career coaching. So we're we're looking at this model more from a holistic approach to ensure that the individual is addressing those personal issues that may 
affect them to be successful employees. So that is, you know, um, that has been a very successful component. This project is being done in collaboration with the uh, Lehigh Valley Workforce Development Board. So between St. Luke's and uh, Lehigh Valley Workforce Development Board, this is how this project got started. And we're very pleased with the first group that participated, and we're looking forward to expanding the model. Jackie, what are some of the surprises, some of the fun surprises that you get out of this program that uh, are nice for you to observe when you're working with the on the job training candidates? What do you like about it? So during the interview process, which was quite extensive, we interviewed quite a number of people. Um, you know, the ones that we chose, you could tell that there was something there, but you know, the, maybe the interview didn't go perfect. And it's just so nice to see how much they grow, you know, in the short time and how, you know, they blossom into these, these great employees. They, you know, they understand, you know, the concept of professionalism. And um, it's just so nice when you compare who they are now to who they are when they first started and how far they've come. That's probably my favorite part. So, Jackie, you're really like a coach, right? Yeah, you know, I'm there to guide them along with, uh, you know, making sure they understand, you know, why it's important to be on time and the rules of the organization and, and why we, you know, value these, um, you know, our caring and our pride and why we have all these, um, you know, why it's just important to be a good employee and how it'll help them in the long run to establish that career and, and build on it and grow and, um, you know, be even good. more successful. Good. Victoria, when you're interviewing candidates, to apply, what exactly are you looking for? So that is done primarily with the program coordinator, but we're looking for people that are working, that have an interest in healthcare. You know, so this program is the foundation to get them. It started in a length, in a le- entry level position, but while they participate in the program, uh, we are going to expose them to what we call career ladders. You come in as a phlebotomist. This is how you can move up the ladder within the department that um, runs for phlebotomy, or you can move up within the network. You know, a lot of our participants that have come through our mentoring programs at St. Luke's, they'll come in as a phlebotomist, as a patient care assistant, and today they are nurses in the network. They went to the nursing school of St. Luke's, or they went to a local nursing program with the community. So, you know, this program looks for participants that really have an interest in healthcare, but that perhaps may not have sometimes even just the skills to uh, participate in a job interview. Sometimes we think those are, you know, simple skills that people understand, but it is complex. And sometimes when people are interviewing for a big network as in Luke's, they get intimidated, they feel unprepared. So Jackie works very closely with them to kind of prepare through that process to ensure they feel comfortable and they do the best possible during that process for the interview and then guide them as we go through every single aspect in the program. Jackie, what would you say to someone who thinks they might want to do this but might have some hesitancy because uh, maybe just a little bit nervous, never been in the healthcare field? Uh, How do you invite them in? Well, first off, making any kind of change is is scary, and so I I understand the hesitancy. Um, But it's something that if you, you know, I always tell my participants, you know, if it's really important to you, you'll find a way to do it. 
being in healthcare is a special industry. You, you have to have that, um, that compassion and that care for the people that you're, you're taking care of. Um, but the hesitancy, you know, it's sometimes we are a large organization and sometimes it's scary coming to work for a larger organization. Um, and so what I try to do is in this program in particular is, is make sure that they feel supported and make sure that they have the tools that they need. And so this way it kind of eases them into their job. And if they have any questions about anything, you know, they know they can always pick up the phone and call me or text me or email me or, you know, I try to make sure I'm very available to help them through those, especially those first you know, few months where everything's so new and you're learning so much at one time. It's just nice to have that person, you know, you can count on to help you if you have any um, issues or questions. Sounds like a great opportunity. Victoria, are there any new areas that St. Luke's is considering beyond phlebotomy? Yes, we are actually in the process of putting the model together. One of the areas that we're going to start exploring now is the patient care assisting area. That's like the nurse's aid that work very closely with the uh, nurses in our network. Uh, so the group that is going to be starting this spring, that's one of the focus areas. And as we continue to expand the program into other campuses, into more participants, we're going to close, work very closely with the network to identify the areas of need, and that's the way that we're going to continue expanding uh, the different focus areas for the program. How long does the program take, Jackie? We have uh, up until six months to complete their on-the-job training. So. Really, it's, it's geared towards those people that don't have any experience in healthcare that maybe wouldn't have been considered for the job just because of that lack of experience in healthcare. And so we have six months to get them on their feet and build that foundation. And once they are uh, finished with those six months and they have their department, um, they still get support from me, but just uh, they're no longer considered an on-the-job trainee. So, Victoria, can you take us inside what a new trainee inductee might go through in the first, say, four weeks? So a new trainee in the program would start, uh, let's say someone new from the community is applying. They would have to um, submit an application to what we call Workday, which is our human resources system for candidates that are applying. That gets reviewed by the community health department team, which is the program coordinator, human resources, the managers, so the candidates are going to go through several interview processes there. Once they're selected, you know, they have to go through all the clearances as any other regular employee. They get treated just like a regular employee coming into our network. And because this is also a partnership with the Workforce for Lehigh Valley, they also have to meet the eligibility as part of the OGT program. They have to kind of meet two different eligibilities, the one from St. Luke's and the one from the Workforce for Lehigh Valley. Once that's done, they get started. They start with a um, human resources orientation and also uh, an orientation done by the program coordinator. And in that orientation, we're getting them ready to what it's like to work for St. Luke's. Uh, you know, some of these individuals have never had this type of experience in their lives, so it's very intimidating to come into a big orientation. It's intimidating, like, what do they wear? What, like, there's just a lot of questions, a lot of fear, you know, in that process. But we want, like Jackie mentioned, we want to get them comfortable. We want to get them excited about the opportunity and how they're going to grow 
and, you know, how we're going to be investing on each of those people individually. Once we kind of get them more in that process, they start very, working very closely with uh, the department, and that's where I'm going to have Jackie expand more exactly what that training looks like for each of them. Sure, Jackie. So we started out with our pilot program with two departments. We did phlebotomy, and we also had sterile processing. So the training was a little bit different for each of them. They would start off with me for a, f- a few days at the beginning of the program just to, like Victoria said, to acclimate them to St. Luke's and the organization. And then after that, we met on a regular basis every other week to catch up. We had development sessions, talked about a lot of employability skills, financial literacy, those kinds of things. So on top of their training, they also had these professional development sessions. The phlebotomist started with um, I like a classroom piece in the beginning just because they wanted them to have that the foundations of phlebotomy before they let them start drawing blood on actual patients. So it was a 12-week classroom piece. Um, so they would go to the classroom in the morning, and then they would spend the afternoons at the patient service centers where the patients come to have their blood drawn until they were uh, finished with their initial classroom piece, they were allowed to shadow. They would help the phlebotomist that they were training with maybe set up their tubes, bring the patient back, but they wouldn't be able to perform any phlebotomy until they actually had that foundation and pass those classes. And then once they were done with that, they did their 100 sticks to uh, have them, you know, prepared to be, uh, you know, to fill the role of an actual phlebotomist. So processing was a little different. They brought them in uh, day one, uh, and had them training, you know, in, in one aspect of sterile processing, and then they would move the the person along to each of the different parts of sterile processing. Once they were competent in one, they'd bring them over to the other, and they tried to keep them with the same coordinator, the same trainer, just so they had that relationship and felt comfortable. Um, and then once they were confident that they could have them be on their own, they would look at where the positions were open, uh, you know, where they wanted to work. If they liked the shift they were on, we'd see if we had open positions on that shift. If they thought maybe night shift might be a better fit for them, the managers would work with them on where the open positions were for night shift. And then they filled those open positions. And we have right now three phlebotomists who are working within the network and three sterile processing technicians in our network who are doing a great job. I'd like to remind our listeners that uh, St. Luke's University Health Network is a teaching school and uh, unique in that area, a great opportunity for people to get into the healthcare business. If any of our listeners are interested in this program or know somebody who might be interested in this program, where should they go? They should go to our workday system. There is a requisition there for the program, and that's how they can submit an application. Last round, we had over 200 applicants. It was very well accepted, and we worked on a lot of community outreach. But they can start there or just call the Human Resources Department, and then they'll guide them in the process where to go in and submit an application. Yeah, the web, St. Luke's website has a career link, and right in that career link, that's where all of our open jobs are posted, and it will be posted in there. We want to remind people that this is really an outstanding program that St. Luke's is putting together right here in the Lehigh Valley. We've been talking with Victoria Montero and Jackie Finelli from the St. Luke's Health Network. 
doing some great work right here in the Lehigh Valley. Jackie and Victoria, thank you very much for being on Every Main Street. Yes, thank you so much for having us. This was a lot of fun. And on behalf of St. Luke's and our community that we're serving, thank you. This is like a great opportunity, and we're looking forward to share more with the community on this project. And if people are interested, please definitely you know, submit an application. We look forward to working with you. For our listeners, when we come back, we welcome Candace Moody from Community Action of Lehigh Valley. Tune up your week with a great variety of jazz music on WDIY Monday through Friday nights from 9 to 11 offers many choices from the world of jazz featuring traditional to modern styles plus swing Sunday at 5 p.m. and improvisational jazz on the bridge Sunday nights at 10 p.m. Listen for new releases, interviews with artists, and information on upcoming performances right here on WDIY. Welcome back to On Every Main Street. Next, we're going to talk with Candace Moody, the racial and ethnic justice organizer for Community Action Center of Lehigh Valley. And our topic, a new program, is being rolled out. It's called Color Outside the Lines. Candace, welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. Color Outside the Lines, please explain the program. Yes, our Color Outside the Lines initiative is a five to seven strategic plan for uh, five to seven years in which we're going to be investing in our community's future. And we're looking to address racial inequities and disparities in about five key areas, which are housing, economic opportunity and employment, education, criminal justice, and quality of life, which actually encompasses mental health, health recreation, and arts and culture. I like the way you broke those down, because then you can specifically concentrate on various areas. Now, will you be doing these simultaneously with different groups? Yeah, so we actually have subcommittees for each of these individual areas, including subcommittees for each of the individual quality of life areas. So there is a sub-area or subcommittee for mental health, a subcommittee for health, a subcommittee for arts and culture, and so on and so on. And we are meeting with these individuals ongoing. We've been meeting with them for the past three years, and these will continue to be meetings that we're having with those committee members. And we are really working out and workshopping the strategic plan to make sure that it's as inclusive as possible. And then right now, after we just launched our event, we're opening up this conversation to the wider community to be able to receive even more feedback. And throughout the next few months, we'll be hosting a few information sessions as well, in which we'll have an opportunity to really have those more personal one-on-one conversations with community members to really get that feedback. So let's take a look at education. Um, How do you take a discussion and turn it into action? Mm, That's a really good question. I actually find it fairly easy to do that. 
um, by really going through the things that we are seeing that are barriers within the education system, we can then assign to whoever is on the committee or even within the individual task force that we might be implementing for each of the areas, we can assign actions that will be able to really address those disparities individually. So instead of us as Community Action or any of the other organizations, instead of us actually doing the work, we will be assigning possibly either a task force, volunteers, or even just those who are very passionate in the community and maybe have their own organizations that are already doing this work. It's really those partnerships and making sure that we're matching those partnerships and actions with the actual goals and strategies from the plans. When you say color outside the lines, you're actually talking about a real diverse group, aren't you? Racial and ethnic diversity. So back into education, there's some pretty strange things going on out there right now. Uh, there are stories about uh, books being banned in certain areas, uh, certain states. Do you think this could happen in the Lehigh Valley? To actually ban anything, I wouldn't say it would be that strict. However, I have personally seen some of the education systems that may try to hide some of the information from the general public or maybe downplay how important some of the information is. So I wouldn't necessarily say that they would try to ban it, but there are definitely other ways that organizations can go about making sure that the information is not being presented accurately to the community. Interesting. Employment. How do you put diverse people in power positions? Yeah, so something that we're actually currently discussing within our Economic Opportunity and Employment Subcommittee is creating these uh, sponsorship programs for individuals who are both within organizations and maybe outside of organizations who already display these leadership skills. And maybe they just need the opportunity to be coached by someone or be mentored by someone to be able to have that access to those leadership positions. Because oftentimes, we, you know, we but we, um, we have these skills, however, we're being overlooked because we may not be in the room or we may not just know the people who are able to get us into those positions. So creating these mentorship programs and making sure that they are structured as a sponsorship will really ensure that we're able to get these folks into those leadership positions. Where and how do you get the mentors? We are partnering with a few different organizations like the Chamber of Commerce that currently has their own mentorship and leadership program. It's really a matter of us just connecting with the networks that we're already in and seeing who wants to be a mentor. And it might just be a conversation of us connecting with someone else to say, hey, we want to build this program out how many people in your organization are interested in being a mentor and even possibly creating some type of incentive process in which if somebody does mentor someone from our communities of focus, that they would receive that incentive and really want to get involved even more. If somebody is interested, who should they contact in getting involved with a program like this? Yes, so they can contact our racial and ethnic justice team at cotl at communityactionlv.org. And you can also click on our website, and there is a contact form on there as well. Let's also take a look at uh, criminal justice. 
your organization just did a real nice presentation. You talked about equal justice. Um, how do you how do you take the energy from the street mm-hmm. and get it into action? Mm, that's a really important question. I feel that after what we've seen, you know, in 2020 with George Floyd and with Breonna Taylor, I feel that there already is a very strong need to put a, a little bit of pressure on the criminal justice system more so than what we've seen in the past. So that energy is already there. It's just a matter of us making sure that we're connecting those folks in the communities who are already taking the actions and making sure that they're aware of some of the other initiatives that are going on so that we can all partner together on this initiative and really push it forward and putting that heat on those who are in charge to make sure that change is going to come and that it lasts. This isn't really easy, is it? No, it's definitely not easy. Uh, That's why, you know, our plan is five to seven years long. However, we've been creating this plan for the past three years. So as you can imagine, it's not something that will happen overnight. And even after that five to seven year mark, I'm sure that there will be a continuation of the strategic plans going out into the community and making improvements. It's something that is going to take a long time, but we're all in this together. One of the areas that you list in your initiatives is quality of life, arts and culture, inclusion, conversations. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that, please? Yeah, so when we're talking about arts and culture, we're referring to a lot of the theater companies or even a lot of the museums that are in the local areas. And when we look at those, they're not always very reflective of the actual demographics of the communities that they're in. So we'll see, for instance, with some of the theater companies, a lot of the plays that they put on are either traditionally written by uh, white male men or they, the cast is predominantly white-skinned individuals. So we're not seeing the communities actually being represented in these areas. So something that uh, Color Outside the Lines has been doing so far is engaging these arts and culture organizations and entities in cultural humility engagements, as well as implicit bias trainings to make sure that they are, one, aware that these stigmas exist in our communities, and then also making sure that they're able to really deconstruct and dismantle those uh, thought processes within their own organizations. Wow. Let's talk about health. You also, in your initiatives, speak of physical health and also mental. Yes. What concerns you the most coming out of this pandemic, especially with the mental health area, and where can people get help? Yeah, so to highlight mental health, One of the things that definitely concerns me within the mental health field, really overall, not just in the Lehigh Valley, but specifically if we're referring to the Lehigh Valley, is being able to find those providers who are representative of the communities that they're serving. We, in the process of creating our mental health services program, we found it very difficult to really stay within the Lehigh Valley to find those providers. Uh, who were reflective of our communities of focus because it's just a very, very small pool. Uh, When we're looking at the wider picture of mental health providers within the entire uh, U.S. country, only 2% of those providers actually belong to uh, people of color. So if you can imagine, that's an overwhelming amount of providers who are out there that may not 
come in with that culture of humility and understanding or sensitivity to be able to help those who either come from different backgrounds ethnically or maybe come from different backgrounds uh, linguistically. CACLV also has a program where a person can check themselves in a way with a cultural humility. Is that right? Yes, our cultural humility uh, engagement. And how does that work? Our cultural humility engagements is a series in which people can uh, book us to facilitate these somewhat trainings. And they are four to five sessions long, and each of those sessions are two hours long. And we go through a deep dive of much of the history of our country and also really just going into a lot of the terms that many people have been hearing through the media and may just not understand what those words really mean or what they actually look like in the real world. So uh, that culture humility engagement trainings, those are really those opportunities to have those one-on-ones with organizations or with boards to really analyze what's happening in our country, what's been happening in our country, and what we can do to move forward together. When you do one of these programs, what surprises you the most? What do people say? Hmm. That one's actually a hard answer. I wouldn't say that I honestly get surprised by too much of the responses that we get. We definitely have people who are just in different areas of their journey. So some people are a little bit more open to the information and they can absorb it and really start to implement those things in their lives right right away. And then you have some individuals who this may be their first time really engaging in these type of conversations and they may have come from communities that had no persons of color. So it's very new information and it can be very challenging for them to be able to accept some of the information because it's very new. But I wouldn't say anything has necessarily surprised me as of yet. Candace, where can we go to learn more? Yeah, so if you would like to learn more about our Color Outside the Lines initiative, you can visit our website at communityactionlv.org, and you can just click on the Color Outside the Lines initiative page, and that will take you to more information about each of the subcommittee areas. And there is also a contact form on that page for those who would like to either volunteer, collaborate, or even donate to this initiative. We've been talking with Candace Moody from... CACLV and the program that they're introducing called Color Outside the Lines. Candace, thank you for being with me on Every Main Street. Thank you so much. You've been listening to On Every Main Street on WDIY 88.1. Have a good evening.